Welcome, everybody. And I think you can hear me. I can hear me, so I know you can. Uh, uh, if you would turn to uh, Colossians 3, uh, welcome everyone that is here and welcome everyone that is out there. We, uh, I, I get feedback periodically from people who watch online. Thank you for uh, tuning in. And this is uh, Colossians. We're on Colossians 3, 5 through 11, and this is November 12th. I try to remember to do the date, so if somebody's watching it, they know what date it was. November 12th, 2023, and now that we're kind of in the holidays, time will move at warp speed. They go very fast around the holidays, whereas in January, things slow down very slowly so that you can savor all of the cold winter. <laughs> and, um, but the looking forward to the holidays and looking forward to the banquet this evening. And uh, thanks to all who have been working on that so hard, including Cindy. <laughs> um, I have a, there's a handout that you should have. It's a gray handout out front. So um, I think all of you are pretty well checked out on that process, get the handout. So we're going to go through quickly the part that we looked at before. And uh, thanks to all who have um, come so regularly to uh, hear this and those who keep up with it online. Uh, I talked with somebody the other day that couldn't make it because of one thing and another, they were ill or whatever, or couldn't, had a conflict and they uh, watched it later. So that's always encouraging that you can catch up on it. Um, so on occasion I have forgotten where I was in the class and had to go back and remember where I stopped because it all sounds familiar to me because <laughs> we've been looking at it for a little bit. Uh, this is a great section um, and look forward to continuing this. And um, Steve, would you start us off in prayer? Sure. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we're just so thankful to be in that house this morning, Lord. We spare the skies you bring forth the message, Lord. And then we think, too, of the, of the space that we're going to have later on today, Lord. We just pray for our speaker. Amen. That the words uh, that God would have to say would be said, Lord. We pray for those that are there visiting, that they might listen attentively to the gospel, or they might see someone saved, they might see people growing. Thank you for those that have uh, worked hard to get it set up, ready to go, Lord. We pray you be with us and bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So if you'll turn to Colossians 3, if you haven't already, and um, I think uh, uh, Kathy is going to read Colossians 1 through 4. And then after that, uh, Dave will read 5 through 11. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Okay. And 5 through 11, Dave. Fortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, 
inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence, and, and covetousness, which is a melody. For which things save the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where therefore, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but Christ is all Amen. Thank you all for reading. Um, and if you'll keep open, because we're going to refer uh, to verses 5 to 11 pretty consistently and look at a couple of other passages. So by way of introduction, you have the handout. I'm just going to review there. And we're in Colossians 3. There are four chapters to Colossians. One and two are doctrine. Three or four uh, are practical. And some of four is engaged in his commendations and saying hello to other people that, uh, that are in, in and around Colossae that he wants to greet. Uh, but Paul shifts in, verse, in chapter 3 to a practical emphasis, uh, and he examines how uh, and what expression and application should be uh, to the true doctrine and how that should take place in the Christian life. In other words, here's the doctrine in chapters 1 and 2. Now here's how you should live it. So he is encouraging and exhorting uh, the Christian, in some cases commanding, the Christian to live out their relationship with Christ in their daily lives. And Paul has explained in 1 and 2 the truth and the doctrine of our inward relationship to Christ. And now he turns to the outward expression and demonstration of that inward relationship. And Paul uh, in chapter 3 now examines that outward evidences and those actions and activities that result from that inward relationship. And verses 1 through 4, he emphasized our being risen with Christ and our vital union with Christ, which provides the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit uh, for living. And, uh, and, and, and the Holy Spirit, we talked about, is not often mentioned, I think one time mentioned, and Christ is used instead uh, for our sanctification. The Holy Spirit is not, not ignored. He does that on purpose to emphasize that Christ uh, in his refuting the heresy of the Colossians, of the uh, Gnosticism, the false teachers. So there's four verses that point to the, the first uh, chapter. Four verses point to the believer's union with Christ and the root or fundamental principle of the whole Christian life. It's the point of departure and the source of power for all that we do. And those are the ones that Kathy read. If then, or since, then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God, and set your affection, 
and mind on those things above, not on the things of the earth, reading uh, 1 and 2. And then Y is listed in 3 and 4. And that is uh, item B. And those, uh, he, 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 in, he encourages them to do that because you have died with, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. That's verse 3 of chapter 1. Uh, that's verse 3 of chapter 3. And also, you also will appear or be revealed with him in glory with Christ, who is our life. Now, let's look at paragraph C. Paul, after declaring, reading from paragraph C, page 1, Paul, after declaring the, his fundamental and controlling principle of our union with Christ and our new risen life in Christ, um, he describes in the section we're in now, verses chapter 3, verses 5, through chapter 4, verses 6, the living out of this truth in practical ways. And this is a quote from Vaughn. In short, the apostle teaches that the Christian's experience calls not simply for regulating the earthbound life, but for digging out its roots and other, utterly destroying it. And by earthbound, he means that which was in the past ungodly, earthly as opposed to heavenly. So he's saying that they will root that out and destroy it. In this way, the new life in Christ will have free course and attain full dominion or power. So the underlying thought is, let the life that is in you by virtue of your union with Christ work itself out and express itself in every thought, deed, and relationship. That's a quote from Curtis Vaughn. So there are four themes, paragraph D, four major themes in this passage from chapter 3, verse 5 to chapter 4, verse 6. The first one is deaden the old. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Next week, uh, we will look at the next passage, 12 through 17, develop the new. And then the next time after that, we'll meet in de uh, desire Christ-like relationships and then devote ourselves to Christian duty. And those passages listing. So those are the major divisions of these passages. So Roman numeral two, deaden yourselves, deaden yourselves to sins of the old life. And that's Colossians 3, 5 through 11. And that corresponds with deaden the old. Okay. So the Colossians were exposed to and had come out of a pagan culture. I mean, the, the temples actually fostered religious practices and rites that were too unseemly for me to describe. Too, they were terrible. And those were cultural practices that were adopted into their almost daily living. So Paul uses very strong language here to express the absolute necessity to abandon the sins of the old life and to consent uh, into, uh, in the worldly pursuits and he uses powerful direct commands like mortify or put to death, verse 5, and put off or rid yourselves, verse 8, and then do not lie, verse 9. So those are the major divisions of deaden the old or mortify or put to death the old. So let's look at the top of page 2 here. So this is the first one, mortify or put to, get, put to death, um, the old and 
that we started in verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So the Colossians died to Christ when they were saved. Colossians 2.20 and 3.3 state that. Colossians 2.20 says, Wherefore, or if ye be dead, that really is since, wherefore since ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And chapter 3, verse 3, For if ye be dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. So they, they were dead to Christ. So therefore, as a result of the doctrinal truth, they were to make this death to the old life a reality in their practical living out this principle in their daily lives. Uh, their union with Christ would make this possible. Um, mortify is a strong expression meaning to make dead, to slay utterly, and the verb pictures urgent action taken decisively and forcefully. This means we are just uh, not to suppress or hold back the evil deeds and attitudes. We're to destroy them completely, wiping them out. And goes on to say, uh, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. So here he says um, those members which are upon the earth are defined by the list of sins listed. And remember we read, it was a figure of speech that Paul identified the members with actions that were immoral because the members uh, contributed uh, those uh, sins and therefore uh, they became synonymous with that. For example, uh, when you tell somebody, don't give me any lip, you're not saying give your lip, you're talking about don't give speech that's uh, inappropriate to uh, back talk to uh, generally say that to a child or something, but sometimes to adults. So the lip becomes identified with the, with the offen offensive activity. So the members here, he identifies with the offensive activity that he lists, lists the sinful activity. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, etc. So Paul is telling them urgently and completely to mortify, to make dead, and to remove the sinful acts, attitudes, desires, thoughts, all of these worldly and sinful things. That's reverting back to the old. They're dead to that now, uh, and they're to act it. <laughs> of course, he is not saying to harm the members of your body. Uh, he is saying, and this is a quote from Vaughn, when I speak of putting your members to death, I mean to put to death fornication, uncleanness, etc., of which your members of your bodies are instruments. So I want to give you a quote by F.F. F. Bruce. He said, F.F. F. Bruce says in relationship to this, he says, now that you are a new man or you are new men in Christ, men and women, says the apostle, live like new men and women. You have said goodbye to your old life. Therefore, have done, finish with all those things that were characteristic of it. 
You have died with Christ. Act, speak, and think. Therefore, so as to make it plain that this death with Christ of all of these things is no mere, no mere figure of speech, but a real event that has severed all the links which are, have bound you to the power or dominion of sin. And here's his summary. In short, be in actual practice what you are by a divine act. Um, so the specific things mentioned, and this is a list of sins that Paul listed, it's interesting that he started with these. I think it shows the prevalence of this type of activity in their culture. Like, a lot like San Francisco, a lot like Solano County, a lot like Sacramento. Um, many times you and I don't see those things, but um, the more you're involved with the culture of our state, the more you see those things. For example, the corridor from like up San Jose to San Francisco and out over to Reno, and I, I forget where it goes after that, maybe at Las Vegas, is a major human trafficking route. I mean, that's like the, the major interstate for human trafficking. And um, these things exist. And um, normally, you know, I just kind of brush past these, but we go over them because in our day, unfortunately, it's up close and personal. It's hardly not a family. We talked about COVID being an epidemic. This is a super epidemic. Um, so I go over them because in our day, we must know about them in order to grow in strength to guard against them and because it's everywhere. And Paul listed these specifically as earthly, worldly sins of a perversion of love, which was practiced in that day and this day, which should be put to death. Um, this is verse 5b, all these things are listed. And... All of these exclusively refer to sexual sins with uh, the exception of covetousness, which also can include the lust for things, including um, monetary greed. But any type of possessions, any type of things that somebody wants uh, more than they want to uh, serve the Lord, that, that's covetousness. And uh, sexual sins were strongly condemned by Paul uh, because it was such a per widely felt influence for evil in Paul's day. Um, and uh, as I said, also ours. So here's the uh, list of them. Uh, fornication means uh, habitual immorality and sexual immorality. Uncleanness means indecency, impurity, and dirty-mindedness. It means uncleanness and thought, word, or deed. Inordinate affection means passion in the bad sense and uh, refers to violent emotions and uncontrolled desire. And evil concupiscence means evil desires. Long word for evil desires and, and for the wrong things. And covetousness, you'd think, is out of place. First time I read this, I thought, well, Paul's just throwing in something to cover the, you know, the rest of the stuff. And no, it's not that at all. Uh, it means to have more, and it means a ruthless, inordinate, 
an unsatisfiable desire, greed and lust, that actively, continuously, and aggressively seek after material wealth, possessions, and things, along with sexual greed. And I put in there, in the handout, the last uh, sentence in that paragraph under covetousness, it's closely related with pride because pride is one of the things that fosters, well, I deserve that, you know? And one, of the, I, one of the commercials for, um, um, that I can't remember what it was, but, you know, you deserve this, you know? You deserve a break today. You deserve this. And you kind of, yeah, I deserve that. And that's how a lot of politicians appeal to people. Well, you're a special person. You deserve this. You know, you see, you deserve all these rights. And uh, But it, this is closely related to, uh, to pride. Later on, I think we call it a twin. Uh, now, what's interesting is, and I want to point this out, um, this starts with an act. Fornication is actually, I mean, it's come to mean more of a general thing. It can be used that way, but it's actually an act. It starts with an act and then goes progressively backwards to the motivation or the reason uh, the act was committed. And that usually starts in the mind as a thought. And that's why we are to control our minds. And what's interesting is covetousness is in there. That, ha that desire to have more, to have it for you. And it is ruthless and it is unsatisfiable. It is closely related to pride. And uh, I, th I kind of see this as a, think about a clock and, and uh, 12 o'clock is covetousness. And one is um, going backwards, the evil desires, and it's the thoughts, and it just kind of ticks around, and then it comes back around to uh, covetousness at 12. And I kind of see, it's not in the Bible, but I kind of see certainly covetousness at the beginning of these things. But it's also at the end, because you come back and you start all over again. What, can, what else can I get? I got that. What, what more can I get? And you just keep going around in that circle. And I see that as a downward spiral, actually. What's interesting is that Paul then throws the word idolatry in. And you think, covetousness, idolatry. Well, I could see that. Um, this is often overlooked, but Paul describes covetousness as idolatry. Reading from the note, middle of page two. Because... Uh, the insatiable lust for wealth and possessions and sexual greed makes material and other worldly things the focus. It's what we begin, that's what we become concerned about. The newest and latest and greatest or best or whatever. And uh, both things and also um, related to um, sexual greed. And those things become our focus and our object of worship other than God. Now, interestingly, uh, idolatry is addressed, you know, shall I have no other gods before me, and covetousness is addressed as the last, the tenth commandment. It's sin. God hates it. It's interesting. Uh, I was reading some material, I think I mentioned this last week, and so while this guy didn't agree with uh, priest, he went over and he, he asked several priests, has anyone can't say the names in those confessionals, but he said has anyone came up to you or in the confessional said, 
you know, uh, I need to ask God to forgive me for covetousness. And they said, everyone he ever asked said no. Because that's one of those sins. The ladies have a Bible study. What is it? Sins that people... Uh, yeah, respectable sins. Those sins that people take lightly, like a white lie or something like that. But people don't think of covetousness and how bad it is. It's horrible. It's really bad uh, because it, it's our. Once we get our attitudes askew, that leads us down a course uh, and a pathway to some other sin. And okay, so um, G. Campbell Morgan says that. Um, First, uh, he lives three ways that covetousness is destructive. First, it's idolatry. That means it only uh, functions when man thinks of life consisting in things possessed rather than in a righteous relationship to God. So a person starts thinking about, well, I am what I have. No, you are, you, you are what you are in Christ. You have a relationship to God. So the priority there is possessions, not God. And then secondly, <clears throat> secondly, it's also a sin against others because to satisfy your desire, others are wronged. And thirdly, it's self-destructive for these wrong conceptions and activities um, react upon the soul. They have an effect on the soul and really uh, to its own undoing and ending in the soul's own doing, uh, own undoing. Uh, he goes on to say, every godly man seeks his happiness in God. The covetous man, though, seeks that happiness in his money or possessions and therefore is covetousness, is covetous, and which God alone, I'm sorry, the covetous man seeks his happiness and his, many, his money or possessions, which God alone can give. Therefore, his covetousness is properly called idolatry. Sometimes I write these uh, quotes down, and as Cindy can say, <laughs> I, she can't read my writing, and sometimes neither can I. So, sorry about that. Okay, so now we're on the bottom of page two, or towards the end of page two. There are two reasons. Verses 6 and 7 uh, give us reasons why we should not practice these sins listed in chapter uh, 3, verse 5. The fornication and, and all the way uncleanness or an affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness. So, first of all, uh, in verse uh, 6, for which things sake... The wrath of God, these sins, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. God hates these sins. These sins incur the wrath and judgment of God. His judgment will come upon them. Ephesians 5, 5 through 8 tells us, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. So we're to walk as children of light, not in the sins that God hates. If one habitually practices these sins, reading from that paragraph uh, A at the bottom of page 2, uh, because God hates these sins, we should not commit them. If one habitually practices these sins, they're conducted themselves by the world standards and living by the world standards. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, if we love him, we'll obey him. And disobedience, constant habitual disobedience, may mean that a person is not saved. And then B, that's verse 7, which is, but uh, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. These sins are from their old life, and, the, and they are the marks or indicators of an unsaved individual. It's how they once walked and what characterized their old lives. Lived means the direction and course of their existence were revealed from their sins in the past and their own life. Um, in verse, verse 5 that are mentioned there. In them means the moral atmosphere of their lives was represented and dominated by their sins before they were Christians. They're not to revert to those and not to live in sins. Don't walk as the enemies of Christ. Philippians 3, 17 through 20. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have for any, us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. Paul's weeping for them that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now the word enemy there means to hate, oppose, and reject the cross of Christ and the way of salvation. And verse uh, 317, three, uh, chapter 3, verse 19 of Philippians. Now, who are these people? Who are the enemies of Christ? It, whose end, it's those people whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, that means their appetite, who, whose glory is their shame, and who mind earthly things. For our conversation or citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not to walk as the enemies of Christ. We're not to walk as those who reject, oppose, and hate the way of salvation. Let's look at the top of page 3. So now we're in the second section of this, this passage, the second division. And this is the put off or rid yourself. Now, it goes on to say in verse 8, but now ye also um, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Here's the second list of sins. And um, I have a quote here. A.T. Robertson says, our practice must equal our profession. We profess something, so we need to live it. Okay, and this is a second list of sins. The first list in verse 5 regarded, was regarding the perverted worldly love, which ends in covetousness, and actually begins with it too. And this list starts with the acts. Uh, the uh, first list starts with acts and behavior and moves backward towards motives. And then covetousness, which is a cousin to lust and a twin to pride and a powerful motivator for sexual sin, 
Um, and it's a result of misusing our minds to dwell on what we want instead of God's abundant blessing. Second list in verse 8 refers to sinful hatred and misuse of the tongue, speech. And these sins start with the motives, it's opposite, and thoughts, and move forward to the actions. So we must put off these things. We must fill and occupy our minds with things above. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in all psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We need to let our mind dwell richly in the things of the Lord. But then he goes, but now, verse 8, now, this is a contrast. This emphasizes the contrast of the things from their former life described in verse 7 uh, and that list in verse 5 and also this list in verse 8. Now, but now we are to, ye also, also put off all these. And he gives a, the next list. Anger, wrath, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And here are these things listed. Again, these start with the motive and proceed to the action. And um, anger means a settled feeling of anger. And by that, it means persistent, focused, predominant, not just flaming up every once in a while. Wrath means rage and sudden passionate outburst of anger. Malice means general wickedness and badness. And or hateful feelings or ill will. And blasphemy means railing in speech and shameful speaking. It means also insulting and slanderous talk. Towards God, it's blasphemy. Toward man, it's slander. But when we slander man, we actually slander or blaspheme God. Because when we slander man... We're really demeaning God's creation. So we're really doing blasphemy. And then filthy communication is shameful, abusive, or filthy speech. Foul-mouthed abuse. Um, and then James 3.10 tells us that... <clears throat> Out of the mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? You know, he starts out with, but the tongue no man can tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And that's a powerful point. Um, out of our mouth, these things should not be pouring out. We should have, we should have gracious speech, which, which edifies. Okay, let's look at... Um, Putting off here means to take off clothes. He says to, uh, in verse, this is verse uh, uh, nine. Uh, sorry, this is verse eight, excuse me. <clears throat> but now ye also put off all of these. So put off here means to take off clothes and rid yourself of the old. And uh, it's a standard Greek word for, for taking off clothes. And the idea is that the Christians should rid themselves of these sins as one would remove a filthy garment. 
And uh, MacArthur says that, um, and what he's saying is a man would at the end of the day take off dirty, filthy clothes so that you can discard the rags of your old life. Imagine that the, um, the unbeliever is like a beggar, filthy clothed only in rags. He comes to Christ, then he throws away the old, gets a robe of white righteousness, and he goes out and finds rags and then puts them back on again. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. So he makes that comparison there. Then he ends with, interestingly, he ends with do not lie to one another in verse 9. Uh, do not lie to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, lying has a special place in the Hall of Fame um, for evil in, in the Bible. Uh, the lie that was told to, by Satan to Eve, eat of the, you know, you really have knowledge if you eat of the, the uh, tree of uh, um, knowledge of good and evil. And, and he said, God didn't really say that. He is what he, it was a half-truth. So lying is abomination. And it's so evil that some people think that it was separated out from this other list to emphasize it specifically in Proverbs 6, 16, 12, 22, list that uh, in the wisdom literature. They list how, how evil a sin that is and the effect that it has. Um, he makes a strong command here, essentially, stop lying. <laughs> so, um, let me... One thing to remember here is that, and I'm going to read MacArthur, he emphasizes this. He says, and Jesus said in John 8, 44, that Satan is the father of what? Of lies. Tell the truth, people. If believers can't speak the truth, who in the world can? Paul is horrified that a Christian would speak slander, that a Christian would speak filthy talk, that a Christian would lie. He says, these are the things you've got to kill. There's no place. Jesus said, out of the heart are issues of life. James spoke of bitter and sweet words out of the same mouth. Paul says a foul mouth, a filthy speech, a slander speech, and a lying mouth is repulsive. You know, you'd almost think, he says, you know, you'd almost think, this is awful elementary for people's life who has hid with Christ and God. Well, it is, isn't it? It's awful elementary for those who have been blessed with all the spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Do you really have to say this to people who are um, complete in Christ? But let's face it, beloved, that's the battle, isn't it? And he says, uh, how do I handle these things? How do you kill sin? He says, I'll give you two ways and I'll be done. He says, number one, starve it. What do you mean by that? Don't feed it. In other words, feed your mind something else. Don't feed it trash. Don't feed your anger. Don't feed it resentment. Don't feed sexual desire. Don't feed covetousness. Uh, he said, um, starve it. Don't feed it. Don't feed it in any of these areas. Don't feed your covetousness. Don't feed that resentment. Don't give it anything. That's the negative. But then the positive is crowded out with the positive graces. Uh, 
He says, just pour your mind into the word of God and, and things that are good and things that are right. And that'll make the difference. And the passage that we have that tells us whatever, whatever things are good and right, and we are to think on those things and not on things of the earth. Set our affections. Finally, brethren, this is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, do. Do those good things. And the God of peace will be with you. So there are two reasons here for uh, removing not only lying, but the other uh, areas of speech, which that he gives us a list in verse 8, and also the, the immoral conduct, the sexual misconduct in verses 5. Verse 5, rather. And the first reason is seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And that's uh, verse 9b. Um, and that means Paul uses the imagery here to express the old, unregenerate nature is like a dirty, filthy, worn-out piece of clothing and is to be stripped off from the body and discarded. And the deeds here mean wicked doings or evil practices, again, uh, that should be discarded. Now, what's interesting is he uses a different word here. And this is why I really like to look at the original language. He uses a word that's a compound word that's only used one other time, and it's used in Colossians 2.15 when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross and he stripped all of the uh, thing, um, spirits and things that were attacking him off. And it means that, to strip off. It, it's a compound word from take off and to unclothe or strip off. And so he is saying in 9b... The, regular, the word, in, it's in 8 and 9 to take off, and then it's in 10 and 12 to put on. So he uses that imagery across this passage that we're in. And the one that he uses here is a word that's very firm, and that they are to take this and strip this off of the body and discard it uh, emphatically. Um, let me share with you here. He says, uh, MacArthur says, we used to live in Downey. That's a place in Southern California. Uh, when I was a kid and my dad was a pastor of First Baptist Church of Downey. And Downey in those days was still developing and it wasn't all built up like it is now. And there were a lot of orchards. And there was one man who pretty much owned the city. And he had subdivided all his property and sold it all off, bits and pieces. And he made a lot of money. And he was an extremely wealthy man. He owned the country club in the town where folks played golf. And one day he was out on his country club and he had some pretty scruffy looking clothes and some pretty shabby things. And one of the guards of the golf course came out and took him and arrested him, or detained him, put him in a car and hauled him down to the police and they put him in the jail for vagrancy. Now this is the guy that owned the whole town, right? <laughs> he says... 
And I'll never forget it because it was a big deal in that town because he owned the place. But the, because of the way he was dressed, they assumed he was a vagrant just meandering around the golf course into trouble or whatever. And, well, needless to say, that guard moved to another town and yeah. another job. His career was over because uh, this man that he uh, apprehended owned the country club and the town. But he didn't dress the part, and it was very difficult to tell. And he goes on to say, and I'm afraid the Christian life, in the Christian life, there are a lot of people who might get arrested for impersonating a Christian and for trespassing on Christian property because they don't really dress the part. He's not talking about outward clothes. He's talking about the, the uh, getting rid of the old behavior and the old man. And even that old favorite garment of the old life that you want to hang on to so much has got to go. From the spiritual standpoint, it kind of goes like this. When you were saved, when you gave your life to Christ, when you believed and he redeemed you, your old man died. Your old man died and you were born again. You were born a new man. And the new man doesn't want to wear the old man's clothes. That's the idea. You don't want to put on the filthy rags that you used to wear, you want to put on the new robe. So the first reason is that you have put off the old man with his deeds, that you have stripped those off. And the second reason that uh, for removing this is these sins is that you've put on the new man. And again, expressing that a metaphor of closing, uh, the new man, and this is verse 10, and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So you have put on the new regenerate nature. I'm reading from the uh, C1B towards the bottom of page three. And you are, again, this is a highly descriptive metaphor used by Paul to express the importance of stripping off the old and wearing the new. And... This, what's interesting, and we often jump over it in verse 10, is that the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We often skip over that. Renewed here literally is being, being renewed, referring to a continuous process described in, described in 2 Corinthians 4.16 and Romans 12.2, um, which we don't have much time to read. Um, but 12.2 talks about a transforming of our mind and 2 Corinthians 4.16 talks about the renewal of our mind and for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day and Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So now we're in the realm of the renewed. I like that term. I read someone use that term. It refers to a new nature which does not decay or grow old, but by constant renewal takes on more and more of the image of its creator. And that's a quote from Vaughn. Knowledge, and this is a quote by, um, this is just a part of the passage here. Knowledge, 
the word there is epinosis, which means full knowledge. And the, the heretics were, were, said you have to have a secretive knowledge. You don't have all the knowledge. And Paul said you have the full knowledge, all of it. So knowledge is the goal of this process, and it indicates true knowledge. And this knowledge is the regenerate man's spiritual vision of Christ, intimacy with him, and insight into his will. That's H.C.G. Moe. Then quoting Bruce, he says, It is the life and power of Christ within that is being renewed as the Spirit of God reproduces more and more of the Christ-likeness in the believer. We'll stop there, I think. And uh, we'll finish this up next time uh, on the 19th. Questions? So, if you own the city and the orchard, don't dress like... Yeah. So we don't want to. We don't want to spiritually dress like. Uh, I'm not talking about clothes either. Spiritually dress like uh, vagrants. We want to dress like the renewed in the realm of the renewed. Let's pray, Father. Thank you so much for uh, being with us uh, while we looked at your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit helping us to understand this. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live uh, and put off the old. And to put on the new, right? that we would uh, that we would live in the realm of the renewed, and that you would help us to honor you and increasingly become Christ-like. Pray for those that are ill and hurting, that you would be with them, Father. Pray for those that are at home, unable to be with us for one reason or another. Pray your uh, that you would be with them. We pray for the service to follow and our banquet this evening, that we would have a, a, a wonderful time and that you would truly uh, uh, work and we would have a wonderful time of fellowship around the table and in the word as we hear the speaker. And we pray, Father, that you would, uh, we thank you for all the things you've done and all the people that you've worked through to make that happen. And, uh, Pray that you would give us a, um, a, a, again, that you would be with us in this service that follows. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.